Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, good morning, church. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue through our study in the Gospel of Mark. And um, this morning we get to an interesting section of Scripture, and we're going to kind of focus in on the idea of worship. And so the question we're going to ask this morning is, can worship be worthless? What an interesting question, right? I was uh, at a conference many, many years back. It was a pastor's conference. It was a leadership conference. And we had done a lot of different uh, worship songs. There had been a lot of different things happening on stage. And then this one guy came up, and his name was John Foreman, and he had written a song out of uh, the book of Amos. And, and he began to sing these song, this song, and it was just his acoustic guitar and this other guy with a stand-up bass. And so it was completely different than everything else that had been happening. And these were the lyrics that he began to sing. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship, away with your noisy hymns. I stop at my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Instead, let there be a flood of justice an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. Wow. At that moment in this worship service, we all just kind of stopped and had to take inventory of what is our worship? What, what's the heart behind our worship? These, these are the verses that he gets it from in Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Keeps going in verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Jesus would say something similar when he quotes Amos in Matthew chapter 9 verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, but sinners. This came from actually Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The question is, can our worship be worthless? Is it possible that our worship can be considered worthless? What an odd question. I like how John MacArthur puts it in this quote. It's a problem, a serious problem to worship the wrong God. And it's equally a problem, a serious problem to worship the right God in the wrong way. Wow. What deep thoughts this morning about worship. Now, we're going to get to Mark chapter 7. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. I've got to plow through some scripture before we get there because I've got, got to till up some earth so we can plant some seeds. Okay, so it's going to take me a minute to get to Mark chapter 7. But I want you to understand this this morning. Worship is a steadfast love for God that is expressed both in one's obedience to God and in one's mercy towards man. So there is this, this idea that worship is far greater than just this solemn assembly, these songs that you sing, these sacrifices that you bring. No, worship is, is a steadfast love for God that is expressed both in one's obedience to God and in one's mercy towards man. You see, if our worship isn't an expression of a steadfast love for God, living in obedience to his word, and displayed in one's mercy towards their fellow man, it's a mere worthless ritual. And this is kind of where Jesus is going in Mark chapter 7. It becomes vain. It becomes worthless. 
You see, worship is both vertical and horizontal, and it's both a vertical and horizontal expression of a heart that has been changed by God. Now, this is new covenant language. When we talk about a heart that's been changed by God, that's a new covenant language. So let me just kind of go through some of these. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is God saying, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to change you. This is a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel that After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is new covenant language that carries on into the book of Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I don't know if you're catching on to this, but there is this idea that this worship is both vertical and horizontal, and it's an expression of the heart that has been changed by God because true worship is an expression of a new covenant. Maybe it's possible that you can't truly worship unless God has truly changed your heart, that he's really put a new spirit in you, that he's really written his law on your heart, that he's given you a, a soft heart rather than a hard heart, and he's changed you. And so that expression of the life change is both vertical in obedience to God, and horizontal in showing mercy towards man. So, Jesus perfectly displayed a life of worship. And one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is John chapter 4, the woman at the well. There's just something about that story that just shows you the heart of God, is, is there not? This woman, she's distraught, she's alone. She's come in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, because she's afraid of what other people will say. And so she goes to draw water and begins to have a conversation with a Jew, a man. She shouldn't be having this conversation. And yet Jesus engages and says, hey, I want to drink of water. And that means that they would actually share the same cup that they draw from. I don't know about you germaphobes, but me, I'm not drinking after anybody, especially during this COVID-19 stuff, right? So in John chapter Four verses 19 through 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Keeps going. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's a lot of talk about worship here. Jesus is saying, look, there's a time coming, and it's even now, where God's going to do something in people's hearts, where he's going to change their hearts, he's going to put in them a new spirit, he's going to write his word on their heart, spirit and truth, and they will become true worshipers. In spirit and in truth, worshiping in spirit and truth is only possible through a new covenant relationship with Christ. I will put in a new spirit, and I will put my law within them. So, this is what Jesus displays. He not only teaches about true worship, he displays true worship. Jesus is describing proper worship, but he's also displaying it both vertically and horizontally in his conversation. 
Jesus is living in perfect obedience to the Father, and yet he's showing mercy to his fellow man, this woman, this Samaritan woman. Jesus is living in obedience to God vertically and horizontally. He is loving others and showing mercy towards man in the process. You see, this woman's a Samaritan. That has racial implications. I don't have to get into where our world is right now, and especially our nation, but there's racial implications that are happening. And yet Jesus says, you know what? It's a new covenant relationship. I have a changed heart. And he sees this woman as no different than him. She's a female. There's gender implications. There shouldn't be a conversation happening between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. This is, this is unheard of. Jesus gets past that to show her love and mercy. Not only that, she's living in adultery. She's got sinful implications. People wouldn't want to be caught anywhere near this woman for fear of their reputation being ruined. Yet Jesus shows a vertical love of God in his obedience to God and a horizontal mercy towards those who desperately need the love of Jesus. Jesus is displaying true worship, and he's teaching about true worship. He doesn't have to go to a certain place and be in a certain assembly or a certain, sing certain songs. No, Jesus is worshiping. His whole life is giving honor and glory to the Father. Jesus reveals to us that true worship is both a vertical and horizontal expression of the heart that, is, that has been changed by God. Therefore, worship is more a matter of how you love God and love neighbor and less about how you hold to traditions and declare what you believe. That's a difficult saying, isn't it? It's not about the traditions. It's not about just declaring what you believe. No, it's how you show your love of God in obedience vertically and how you show the love of God horizontally to others. That's worship. So let me ask you this question. What if you were to enter a corporate worship service like this one and you sang all your favorite songs. Now, don't tell Chip if we didn't sing your favorite songs today, right? But let's say that you walked in and there you're like, this, this is my favorite song. This is my favorite worship song. I've heard it on the radio and I cry every time I'm riding, riding down the road. You closed your eyes, you raised your hands, and all the while you were actively accepting sin in your heart and life. Would that be true worship? Wow. Can worship be worthless if you're not living in true obedience to God? If he's not written his law on your heart and you're living dependent upon him for every moment? Okay, well, what about this question? Same, same scenario. You walk into a corporate worship service and you sing all your favorite songs and you're thanking Chip for doing that. You closed your eyes, you raised your hands, and yet all the while you held grievance and possibly unforgiveness towards someone else in your heart. Would that be true worship? Wow, that's a difficult question, isn't it? Because how often do we make it about what I'm singing and how much I like this? And we hold either acceptance of sin in our heart or we hold unforgiveness in our heart towards others. Maybe, maybe we look down on them because they don't meet our standard. Is that true worship? So, God has written his law on my heart. And does it dictate how I worship? His law, Matthew 22, 36 through 39. This pretty much sums it up. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if God's written his law on your heart, then what is it going to look like? Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And that would be a life of worship. So can worship be worthless? Matthew 5, 23 through 24. We're almost to Mark chapter 7, people. We're almost there. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I think Jesus would say these words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As we come in and we worship God in corporate worship today, we worship him and we do it in spirit and in truth. May God give us a spirit that just lives in dependence upon Jesus Christ and a heart that shows mercy and love towards others. Can I pray for us as we jump into Mark chapter 7? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way that you said, I will do this. I will do this because we were incapable of loving you and living in righteousness. You sent your son Jesus so that we could have life and have it everlasting. You have given us your spirit as a down payment for one day when we reach glorification, we will stand before you and it's all because of you. Father, we are dependent upon you this morning. God, move our hearts towards repentance. Move our hearts towards a love of you that is steadfast and move our lives towards showing mercy to our neighbor. In Christ's name, amen. So first question we're going to ask as we get into the scripture, when it comes to my expression of worship, is worship more, a, more of a tradition of man or more of a testimony of the heart? So Mark chapter 7, here we go. I promised we would get there. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who came from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of the cups and pots and the copper vessels and the dining couches. Verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, worship, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of man. Do you see the argument about worship that arises? You see, some of the biggest threats to personal discipleship and corporate relationships come in the guise of religious tradition. Some of the biggest obstacles that the church faces when it looks at the essentials of personal discipleship, growing in our relationship with God and corporate relationship, uh, and spurring one another on, edifying one another in the body, one of the biggest dangers is religious traditions creeping their way in and causing people to not live out a life of worship. Often we miss the blatant evil in our midst because it's wearing a disguise of religious tradition, moral superiority, or hypocritical legalism. 
And these push people away from God. And this is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sometimes evil comes and it's disguised as an angel of light. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. You see, when religious traditions and cultural interpretations take precedent over true worship, not adhering to those religious traditions is often more frowned upon than actually breaking the commands of God. They weren't washing their hands. And this is not because of the diseases of the day. This was like a ceremonial thing that that was offensive because they weren't following the traditions. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you, when you came in today, used the hand sanitizer in the lobby? Will you please raise your clean hand? Okay, if you did not use the hand sanitizer, please raise your hand. Do you see how dirty these hands are in this room, right? Okay, so all the people, now let me get this right, all two of you that actually use the hand sanitizer looked at everyone else who didn't use the hand sanitizer probably the same way that the Pharisees were looking at the disciples. Can you believe they didn't use that? Can you believe that? It was right there. They didn't do the ceremonial washing before they entered worship. So it's a joke, but it's true. Sometimes we get so offended when people don't follow the rules. And I'm not even talking about scripture. I'm talking about traditions, things that we put in place that we say, oh, this is this is important. So I'm going to I'm going to step on some toes and I hope that you don't get offended. Okay, so I want you to tell me if this is scripture or if this is tradition. The Lord says that everyone must wear their Sunday best. Uh, It's tradition, right? How about this one? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Scripture. I'm going to point out something. Sometimes we get way more offended by people breaking traditions than we do by people breaking scripture. Am I right? And this is exactly what these religious people are doing. And so Jesus says in verse 6, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. I like how David Guzik in his commentary says this. God could say something similar to us. They attend church, but their hearts are far from me. They read their Bible, but their hearts are far from me. They pray eloquently, but their hearts are far from me. They contribute money, but their hearts are far from me. They do ministry, but their hearts are far from me. They love to sing, but their hearts are far from me. They talk to others about Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. He says it's vain worship. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the traditions of man. In vain worship. This word vain, as many of you know, means empty, hollow, and useless. It will do us no good. It is worthless. It shows undue or excessive pride in one's appearance or achievements. It reminds me, and I told the elders this, it reminds me of my wife Abby's favorite song to sing to me by Carly Simon. You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. So, 
Vain worship. Vain worship is lip service to God with focus on self. Now think about that for just a second. These Pharisees, these scribes, they were following all of these rules, all these commands, but really the focus was on what? Themselves. How well they're doing. And then when they see that people aren't following the rules as well as they are, they point fingers. You worship in vain is what Jesus would say. You see, we're all worshipers. The question truly is, is what is the object of our worship? Not what are the words of our worship? As we come in and we sing songs, now we sing songs, corporate songs, and we should do this. And we, we as a church, we try to have songs that point straight to Jesus Christ because that's who we're here to focus on. It's not a matter of the words, though. It's the matter of the heart. Because we can say words and our hearts still be far from God. Unfortunately, vain worship is plaguing the American church, and the results are obvious. Churches are shrinking, and young people are walking away from their faith. It's particularly because they have either been handed down a tradition of works-based moral deism, or they have come for years offering only lip service on Sundays while living Monday through Saturday, worshiping self, pleasures, and idols. And now they feel as if they don't need to come anymore. It was a matter of worship. I love what Francis Chan said. I don't know if you saw this on social media. Random churchgoer says, I didn't really like worship today, Francis Chan. Well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. (laughs) That's okay. Sometimes vain worship is when we make it about us, but we give lip service to God. True worship starts with the object of your heart in spirit and in truth. Unless God has given you a new heart, your old one will always fixate on the things of this world and worship done in vanity is worthless. So the first question was, when it comes to my expression of worship, is worship more a tradition of man or more of a testimony of the heart? Second question we're going to answer is, when it comes to my expression of worship, is worship more a manipulation for personal pleasure or more a means of personal obedience? That's a difficult question as well. Let's keep reading verse 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit me, permit them to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So this word Corban, that means given to God. Actually, what had happened was is they had come up with a way that as the parents, the father and mother, as they were getting older and they needed to be taken care of by, by the kids, if they wanted to sound religious, they could say, oh, I'm sorry, I've I've dedicated my money to the Lord, and I can't give it to you, and I can't use it for you. And so it's Corbin is what they would call it. And so it would get them off the hook. Well, I can't take care of my parents because that money's reserved for God. However, they could use that money for their own needs like food and, and things like that. They could use it for themselves, but they just couldn't use it for taking care of their parents. And so they began to manipulate the system. You know what manipulation is? To change by unfair means so as to serve one's purpose. So when it comes to my expression of worship, is worship more a manipulation for personal pleasure or more a means of personal obedience? 
For these, it became a way to manipulate the system for personal pleasure. And manipulation in the church comes in two ways, legalism and loopholism. I stole the word loopholism because it's not really a word, so I took it from someone else. Legalism and loopholism. Legalism looks at rule following as a judge of one's righteousness or lack of righteousness. This leads to self-pride or self-condemnation. So you begin to look at the rules, kind of like the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. Look at, you're not following the traditions. You're not doing what we're doing. And so they begin to judge other people. And either you're going to feel really good about yourself, self-pride, or you're going to feel really bad about yourself, self-condemnation. And there are so many people who feel really bad about themselves that they leave the church because they think, God's never going to be pleased with me because I'm never going to be good enough. And that's, that's the whole point. You are never going to be good enough. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die for you. Because there is no righteousness except for Jesus Christ. And if you put any clout in what you're able to do, it's worthless. Or there's loopholism. Looking for loopholes in one's obedience to God, this leads to self-denial and self-destruction. Loopholism. You ever try to figure out a loophole? If you've had kids, they're great at trying to figure out loopholes. You tell them a rule, and they try to figure out, well, how can I use this rule, get around this rule, and use it for my pleasure so that I still technically followed what my parents told me to do, but I didn't really have to follow what my parents told me to do. You understand what I'm saying? Loopholism. So you might do that at work. You might be told to do something by your boss, and you're like, oh, I'll do it, but I'll do it this way, and you loophole the system, right? So we do the same thing with God. God, well, I want to be obedient to you. I know you're a heavenly father. And I, you know, I've been praying. I've been doing these things. And I'm looking for a loophole on how to not be obedient. So what we do is we take God's word and we say, yeah, but that's not really what it was talking about. So I can, I can engage in this sin if I want to, because that's not really what that's talking about. And so we look for a loophole. If you're looking for loopholes, and being obedient to God, let me ask you, is that really worship? No. Even if you sing songs, even if you close your eyes and raise your hands, if you're looking for ways around being obedient to God, it's not worship. If you're looking to yourself and how well you're doing and being legalistic, where's your focus? Is that worship? No. See, a life lived in true worship, is a life displaying a deep dependence upon the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and in your heart. It's showing up and saying, I need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus because, number one, I can't do it. I'm really struggling to be obedient. And I really need Jesus to change my heart because I'm really struggling to love others. I want to love God and I want to love others and I want to live my life as a life of worship for him, but I'm in desperate need for Jesus Christ to be able to do so. That's worship. Worship is not the display of one's righteous abilities or one's adherence to rituals. Look at what I'm able to do. If our lives are lived in legalism or loopholism, they are not living in worship. So, worship is a steadfast love for God that is expressed both in one's obedience to God and in one's mercy towards man. So I guess my real question this morning is, do you have a heart of worship? I think it's time that we reflect, that we take an inventory of our hearts. God, what kind of heart do I have? Is it one that looks for loopholes to get around your word? Is it one that looks for ways to 
participate in sin and just do enough to feel good? Is it one that looks for how well I'm doing, where the focus is on me, and I judge myself based on what other people do? Or do I have a new heart and a new spirit? One of the new covenant that desperately needs Jesus Christ to do a work in me because I fail daily. I invite you, church, to worship. To worship corporately. Not to just sing songs, not to just let words come out of your mouth, but to have a heart that loves God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and loves your neighbor as yourself. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each.